Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be giving you guys five different key points from the last five Thunder contests and I'm also going to be giving you all an update on the Oklahoma City Blue what is going on with the assignees on the roster and what is happening with some of the guys that are just on exhibit tents and who have kind of turned themselves into some hidden gems on the roster and like always guys i'm gonna be giving you a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings sportsbook so you do not want to miss out on that but starting things out i just want to apologize real quick for the delay and pods being released. I know it's been five games. That's normally uh, not my mantra here. I'm trying to get one out every single time uh, after games, and I've been dealing with a little bit of sickness here and there. Also been trying to situate myself. I'm in a good spot to record, so we should be good for this week. Uh, So hopefully you guys uh, are bearing with me, and I appreciate it for all you guys who have uh, bared with me through this week or so. But just going through these five games, I feel like it's not really necessary to give you the 10-minute gist on like the play-by-play like I typically do because it's been a good amount of time. Now the Thunder, they're playing back-to-back sets. They're playing three games in four days. So even though they're five games, this is a course of like eight, nine days right here. But anyways had a lot of different things going on and before they got into this little spell here you got to keep in mind where the thunder were at the thunder were kind of riding pretty pretty high they were five and seven going into this little spell and they were on the cusp of a play-in game so they were on a pretty big think three game uh win streak and then they go face the miami heat and it got snapped they end up losing this game 103 to 90 when you break down kind of the key moments there was no bam there was no jimmy butler on this side either but there were some pretty big performances from duncan robinson and tyler hero they were able to step up uh, pretty crucially in that uh win for the miami heat and then when you look at what the thunder were doing in this game they did have their full lineup but they didn't get that kind of full surge that was necessary. Lou Dort was big, though. He had 20 points in that game. Jeremiah Robinson Earl had a career-high 16 points. He kind of kept them in the conversation with a lot of threes. He ended up shooting four of six from distance in that game. Poku as well. He had a good stint to get 11 points in 16 minutes. SGA was the main person you kind of target out of that group, though. He had just 10 points in the game shot two of 11 one of five from deep and he could not get anything going from the free throw line i guess one good takeaway though aaron wiggins got some real minutes in this one he had six points in 19 minutes so that was kind of the first deal you kick things off with then they go play against the houston rockets at home and the rockets we know you know we knew what happened last time they played it was a blowout kind of like the only major blowout i'd say this thunder roster has had uh, to this point and then the rockets just stagnated loss after loss started going their way and they entered this game 1 and 12 so complete opposite end of the spectrum uh, from where they were i think the second game into their respective seasons but you go in and houston's trying to get a w right like they are just losing 
and they need something to stick with. And you got the Thunder on your schedule. On paper, the Thunder does not look like an amazing team. SGA has looked like a star. Going in this game, we knew that. Lou Dort was riding high on four straight 20 pieces, so you got to cover him as well. But they, you know, kind of dominated. They were playing like the Harlem Globetrotters during sub-segments of their October meetup. So they go in, and Steven Silas was not having it. He didn't want to play guys like Sangoon in the main rotation. He didn't want to have kind of that uh, tension, maybe with Wood and Sangoon out there. Just a strict lineup, one through five. Get some vets in there like Eric Gordon, for example, to get on a roll and to try to dominate. But it completely backfired on the Rockets. They didn't lead like at all in this game. Not a single tick for them. And the Thunder ended up taking this game away 101 to 89. So polar opposite from the 124-91 bashing they had earlier on in the season. And all the credit has to go to Lou Dort in this game. He had 34 points Eight rebounds and two assists in 37 minutes. Shot 14 of 22 from the floor. SGA kind of had to play second fiddle. He got 15 points, seven rebounds, and nine assists. And then also Josh Giddy clocked his second double-double of his career, finishing with 14 points and 11 rebounds. The big deal was just kind of stunting some of the big guys for the Rockets. And the biggest one uh, was Christian Wood. He had 31 and 14 in the first meetup. He only had 10 points and 14 rebounds in this game, went 4 of 16 uh, from the floor, and their only real primary option was rookie Jalen Green with 21 points, but they get that win, and now they're back. They're 6 and 8, rolling into this like road stand, and the first team they have to play are the defending champions in the Milwaukee Bucks, and they did a pretty good job against them, I think all things considered, because the Bucks, they got Giannis, they got Middleton. And they weren't benching them. They were going full throttle. They were trying to make a statement victory. They were trying to get their kind of motions riding high into the next one. But they had to work for it. The Thunder, they clawed back to make it a single-digit contest. The Bucks won 96-89. But they really had no business being in this game. Majority of the game, it was a double-digit deficit, and they didn't even have Mark Dagnall out there. Dave Bliss, six foot ten assistant coach, was at the helm. He was able to kind of steer the thunder in the right direction. Just kind of a matter of the clock not going their way. When you look at what the Bucks were doing, Giannis, he was dominating, of course. He had 21 points and 19 rebounds, which Honestly, is not that bad because he didn't take a lot of shots. Bobby Portis had some stints where he'd get nine points on his own. He had 17 and 13. And then you had other guys like Middleton, George Hill, Grayson Allen, Drew Holiday. They were all double-digit scorers. The big thing, though, SGA. He shot 5 of 20 in this game for 17 points. Josh Giddy was a bit more of a high note. He had 14 points and 12 rebounds for a streak of double doubles and Mike Muscala almost got one with 14 and 9 but they get that loss they're at 6 and 9 going to the garden to face the Boston Celtics and you have two familiar faces really a lot more if you want to branch it out but you have Ennis Cantor there you have Al Horford there and you have Dennis Schroeder there now the two big ones Horford and Schroeder they were out there kind of giving handshakes pats on the back uh, to their former teammates with cancer. Yeah, he was on the team, but like, I don't think it was at the point where like he really knew anyone on there. So really it was just Dennis and Al that you're honing in on. But 
they were having a good time uh, with the Thunder uh, players after the game. They're having a very good performance on the court, though. Dennis Schroeder just lit it up in the starting unit. He finished this game with a grand total of 29 points, 4 rebounds, and 6 assists. He shot 13 of 22 to get there. And the remarkable part is he didn't even need to get to the foul line to do so. He was just working for everything he got it all uh, without the stripe which honestly is pretty significant and pretty remarkable uh, kind of given how the game has started to steer towards the charity stripe but when you look past that big al had a good game he almost got a triple double he had 10 points 11 rebounds and seven assists the big deal though was Jason Tatum had to step up. There was no Jalen Brown in this game, so Tatum goes out, scores 33 points, goes 11 of 22 to get there, and that was kind of just the major, major portions. They had that just band of guys clocking in bunches of points, and they're up in the 20s. This was a lead that should never have been shriveled down. The Thunder got it to within really single digits, single possessions, and then they kind of squandered it late, so... They ended up winning the game 111-105. Still a very good end result for the OKC Thunder, though, and they had a lot of impressive stat lines to take away from it. Point spread was unusual. It was no like no 20-point scores whatsoever, but everyone was around like 10 to 15, which is good to see. Lou Dort had the most with 16 of his own. He ended up going 4 of 9 from distance. Josh Giddy had 15 and 8 in 29 minutes. And SGA had 14 points, 3 rebounds, and 3 assists. Couldn't really break his cold spell. Shot 4 of 13 and 2 of 7 from the foul line. But Jeremiah Robinson Earl kind of helped pick up the slack. He had 13 points in this game, going 5 of 11. And that's going to take us to last night's game against the Atlanta Hawks. You have Trey Young, an Oklahoma native, going in there. And you're playing in Atlanta to kind of wrap up that away stand. Uh, but it was not going in the Thunder's way. And they had a very good first half. Josh Giddy, he was on pace to get a triple-double. He did not get there. Still very close. He had 15 points, 8 assists, and 7 rebounds. But they ended up being a baker's dozen too short. They lost 113-101. to Impressive part, though, they were down 22 going into the fourth frame. So just like all the other contests we saw uh, that I've talked about, they're down 15 plus, 20 plus, and they just inched their way back into the conversation. Couldn't put a bow on it, couldn't take the victory, but still pretty impressive overall. Mentioned Giddy with his 15. Dort also had 15. Didn't have any SGA action. He was out uh, for the first time this season. So they had Bays at the three. Got Favors and JRE together. Both of them had double digits. Favors had 10. JRE had 13. And then off the bench, you had Ty Jerome with 15 points. And that's going to bring us to the present day. They are currently 6-11. and 11. That's good for 11th in the Western Conference. 8-9 and nine is the benchmark to get into the play-in. So they're not quite there. Get a couple wins together. They're back in the conversation. They're trying to catch up to Minnesota. So take that as you will. But yeah, that's what it was like. Last five games, they're one and four. I guess when you take into account the Nets game, it'd be one and five in the last six. But then they had that pretty good stint where they picked up three in a row. But I just want to mention some of the major things that I saw in these last five games, kind of the five key factors. But first, 
I want to let you guys know about my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook and the great offer they have for you all. The NHL season is underway, and at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, they have an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. Doesn't matter if it's a one-time clapper or a depth deflection, however they light the lamp, you win. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Throw down $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net nets you a big win with promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NHL. You must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, go ahead and call 1-800-GAMBLER. But guys, moving right along to the five key things I saw in the last five games... I want to start it off with what we saw from Lou Dort and really what his season has been looking like to this point. He rode into the past five games on a little hot streak, three games in a row, dropping 20 plus. He goes in to the first game against Miami, gets it to four straight, dropping 20, and then against the Rockets, gets 34 to move the pendulum to five. So this was very big for Lou in the last three he failed to reach 20 but he didn't go below 10 actually when you look at it as a whole I mean he's dropped double digits ever since the third game of the regular season he's 15 of 17 in terms of clocking 10 plus right now so he's been amazing on that end uh, just kind of dissecting the last five though almost still averaging that 20 piece averaging 19 points flat with 5.4 rebounds and 2.0 assists. I think the biggest takeaway is when you look at his three-point shot. He's shooting just around 40% in the last five, going 17 of 43 from beyond the arc, and that's serious numbers. When you look at the last five games, and you check him taking 43, he's launching well over eight of these bad boys a game. He's the number one option when it comes to these catch-and-shoot shots, and it's just a stark contrast from the talk of the town maybe earlier on in the season because Lou Dort was not an impressive three-point shooter by any means to begin this season. He had the preseason where he was shooting damn near 63% from beyond the arc, but then he just kind of stagnated when we got into actual play. You're talking games where he's missing the mark, going one of seven, one of six, just mirroring some of these Pretty bad numbers uh, we saw throughout OKC's uh, roster, but now he's kind of the outlier where he's back to that true form. You hit him when he's wide open from downtown, he's going to be able to cash out and he's going to get you on the positive side. So he was a major reason why they were collecting those wins in that three-game patch, and he is the reason why they took that game against the Houston Rockets. So even though he's not dropping 20 a game anymore, 
Uh, rest assured, he's good when it comes to putting the ball in the basket. And it's not just the three-point game. The three-point game was the development that we saw from him last year. It just kind of now came into fruition in terms of his third-year campaign. When it comes to slashing inside, he has progressively gotten better, and there really have been zero hiccups in terms of that. He is such a good slasher. When you look at his frame, it's very unusual because he does look like a linebacker. He's 6'4", pretty much 230 pounds, but it's he's so top-heavy. He's a very burly guy, and he's able to just slash right in, take contact, and just work through it. He's not getting to the line as much as some of these guards, like an SGA, for example. So he has to work through the pain, and he does. He just does that. And it's not just on drives. When it comes to sneaking in off the ball, he's been able to do it. And in addition, just off of like driving dunks. So everything when it comes to the interior, he has been solid throughout this season, and that's really where he worked. Uh, for the first 10 games, I'd say. He didn't even get a tap into the three. But now with the three-point shot unlocked, I think you're going to see him dropping 15, 16, 17 points on a consistent basis because as the Thunder have established, and I'd say this might have been the same last year too, like Lou Dort is that second option because there is no true star second option. Lou Dort's a great player, don't get me wrong, but we know SGA is a star. He's in his own group right now with this team, but they don't have that secondary star. And you can say Josh Giddy. Josh Giddy's had some amazing, amazing performances, but when we're looking at strictly a secondary score in terms of what the guidelines would be. I think Lou Dort fits that better than Josh Giddy would, and the regular season stat lines would also project that because Lou was averaging just around 16 and a half points per game. So that was kind of the big thing I saw with Lou there. We know that he is a very good shooter. He just has to get into the flow of things, and the hope is he's going to be consistent and kind of stay around maybe the mid-30s uh, from distance once we get to the end of the 82-game slate. And moving past Lou Dort, I want to talk about another guy who's really turned himself into a very good perimeter threat, and that is second-rounder Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Whenever JRE got selected uh, in the draft, it was a little bit surprising how it was done, and I don't think many people will necessarily question it, but you're trading picks 34 and 36 to move up all of, I think, two spots. They hopped the Knicks uh, in that package, I believe, or actually it was the Magic that they hopped at pick number 33. They traded with the Knicks. But anyways, when it first happened, you know, some people were upset. They thought there were some potential filled guys that were still on tap. There definitely were, uh, but I don't know if there were many that were as ready as Jeremiah Robinson Earl. And as we've seen, I think JRE was the best player available given the Thunder's situation uh, still on the board and he's looked like a steal to this point they just thrusted him into the starting lineup and this is not a new breakthrough like we saw JRE in the starting rotation in the first like five games and Mark Dagnall was playing a major minutes in the summer league same goes with the preseason uh, but now he's kind of turned into that number one to where you're not even thinking about Isaiah Roby he's an afterthought he's been playing it with the Oklahoma City Blue. Uh, whereas Jeremiah's fighting with Derek Favors every night as to whether he's out, uh, out for the tip. And when he's not, he's still playing 25 
26 minutes per game. And the main reason why is because of the three-point shot and just his overall production from the field. Last five games, he's been averaging 11.4 points, 6.8 rebounds, and one assist. And like I said, he had 16 points against the Heat past two games he's dropped 13 uh, respectively he just looked very very good from all facets and the major one has been from three he shot 10 of 27 from distance over the course of the last five games it's pretty damn good all things considered shooting 37.3 percent on those takes and for a center taking close to six shots a game uh, that's no little sample size you have there. And when I kind of draw comparisons to JRE, the big one to begin the season um, was with, you know, Isaiah Roby. That's the easy pick because Roby's this six foot eight guy with a seven three wingspan. Jeremiah is pretty uh, identical almost when you look at him from a measurable standpoint. But even just the play, I think particularly as the three point player, like. You know, Roby would oftentimes set a high ball screen and then just sneak outside to the top of the key. That's what Jeremiah Robinson Earl has been doing, and, you know, he's doing it the last five games, but that's been a constant with him. I think the big reason and the big notable as to why I'm talking about him uh, over, like, one of the major, major bright spots over the past week or so is other ways he's been contributing. He's not just this guy who's only going to be relevant from the top of the key as a shooter. He has turned into a corner sitter that actually forces people to get out there. And time and time again, uh, defenses are just not allowing guys like SGA, guys like Josh Giddy to go in on dribble drives. They have to kick it out, and the number one person they're leaving wide open is good old 20-year-old Jeremiah Robinson Earl, and he has been making them pay big time you can't leave him on an island because you're gonna get left out there drowning because he's gonna hit the three and we'll see defenses probably start to tighten up uh, but I don't know because you have SGA who's been dominant on one-on-one drives you always gotta collapse inside on him and then Giddy's looks so good as well you're gonna have to leave one open. I get it. That's why JRE's that guy. We saw it with Darius Baisley. He still kind of gets that similar treatment. But right now the spotlight is on Jeremiah, and he has not folded to this point. And it's just instrumental, and it's big that Jeremiah is doing so well from three because they need reliable options from downtown. JRE is the big one off the bench. We know they have a stronghold in Mike Muscala, and I'll just briefly kind of gloss over what he's been doing these last five games. He shot 41, uh, 41.2% from a three on 4.3 tries a night, so he's been a sharpshooter. We kind of know that he's always going to be that way. He'll be mid-30s, upper 30s, hell even in the 40s. Jeremiah is more that mixed bag, but he has done a magnificent job when it comes to draining those shots and for the long term not just thinking a segment of five games if you really want to win with this core of Josh Giddy and SGA you have to surround them with sharpshooters and I 
couldn't tell you if Jeremiah is that future five. He's only six foot eight, and there are a lot of very good centers in this next draft class. You could also try to find some in the trade market too, but I don't know if he's going to be that straight five. And Dagnall has talked about it where, you know, they're kind of testing his boundaries just like they have with Isaiah in the past. You don't want to lock him into one position. And right now he's been playing at the five, but he's still been possessing a lot of guard skills. Uh, in particular, the passing game for him. He's also been taking some power forwards uh, during the time he's been playing here. So they're still trying to expand his boundaries. I think when it's all said and done, he's probably that bench power forward you're looking at. But right now, in this model of a center, he's been doing one hell of a job. And he hasn't taken any significant strikes, I'd say, in terms of the rebounding department. And the one major cough up, I will say, he didn't do great against the Celtics, but you know, Roby played terribly against this same matchup too in Ennis Cantor. Like, Cantor's just that back-to-basket offensive rebound after offensive rebound guy, and it's an issue. It tends to be an issue when you do not have uh, the height to just stack up right with them. Uh, So I'd say it's passable for right now, but just offensively, man, he is giving the Thunder so many different options, and he's really just been a major aid because the way that SGA has been operating this last five, uh, they've needed some shooters to hang around, and it's really not SGA's fault, uh, but it still is a point of note here. Last four games, because in the in the five-game stint, got to remember, he didn't play last night in Atlanta, he's been averaging 14 points 4.8 rebounds and five assists. And we know the code with SGA at this point. He led the NBA in drives by a wide, wide margin last season. He gets the high ball screen. He slashes to the rim. If he doesn't see anything open, he's going to kick it out. If not, he'll take a layup. And honestly, he's taking layups through contact whenever he wants to as well so he can get on that little spurt and he can get very very hot very very quickly can also get shots at the line by slashing in so he's a beast when he goes downhill uh when it when he kind of comes off that screen initially but also when he unlocks that step back three you got a three level monster that you really cannot contain so what teams have done uh, are you know they're just out there clogging that paint they're packing it down to where SGA if he's driving in go for it dude you can break through that first wall that second wall is going to be two times as strong you're not looking at just a center you're looking at two guys potentially and then someone else breathing down your neck man you got a half a step on yeah he's going for the chase down as well so you can go up for a shot it's going to be heavily contested Or you can kick it out to a wide-open Darius Baisley or a wide-open Jeremiah Robinson Earl. And what is SGA going to do in that situation? Well, he should be passing the basketball out. That's what he's been doing. When you look at the potential assists, he's been at 14, I believe, in that course. Uh, So he's looking to kick it out, but also he's still looking to get those shots. He is the number one option, and that's just kind of what comes with it. This isn't an issue where... Uh, you can just forget about it. If you're double teamed all the time, you got to work through it. You got to become comfortable in that situation. And that's what he's been trying to do. So with this little log jam, it suffered in terms of stats because he's only averaging 14 a game, because he's only able to kind of layer out five rebounds. And because of it, 
He's only shooting 27% from the field. I think the big uh, seed to why that is, though, is the three-point shot. When you can't get the three-point shot going, especially if you are an on-ball player and your kind of calling card is the ability to create your own shot, if you're not getting the three-pointer down, well, you're not that three-level scorer anymore. You're just someone who's going to be a liability to the defense once you're inside 15 feet. So once you get inside that range, then you're doubled up, then you're clamped up. Uh, But even then, SJ's a very gifted space creator. He can get the shot off on the step back, but it's not going in. So like I said, that's going to lead him back inside. That's going to lead him into those heavily contested shots. And that's going to lead him into some pretty bad situations to where you know, the defense, they'll be cashing out and they'll be running running it back on the fast break after a shanked layup or whatnot. So yeah, he's been taking shots. That's not something that's gone away for him. He's averaging 15 and a half. That's technically less than Lou by like 0.9. But yeah, I mean, he's trying to work through it, which is good. There needs to be growing pains in this. And that's kind of what we've seen take place. So if the three was up to like 35%, Easily, you're talking about him being in the mid-30s in terms of overall field goal percentage. There's a definite correlation between the two just because of how he can play. If he's lethal from distance, then you're going to get that real pressure up top, and that's when the screens are kind of at its best, and it's this whole domino effect, really, when you want to get into it. But on the base level, he's driving in on two guys. That's what we've seen the last five games. Coaches have been picking up on it, and they're trying to kind of break them uh, from the inside through SGA not being able to post uh, very high outings from the field so that's just something with him I do think that he will be able to turn it up eventually this isn't the first time he's had up and down games this is the first real patch we've seen in a while Uh, but it's SGA man he's a star he will get back on his feet and one man who has gotten on his feet and has been rocking and rolling lately is Josh Giddy, and he's really been that primary passer. When you look at Josh Giddy as a collective, we'll just break down uh, the last five games for him in terms of numbers. He's been pretty solid. He's been averaging 12.8 points, 9.4 rebounds, and 5.2 assists, so he's almost flirting with a double-double. But I actually want to talk about that third stat there in the assists. You know, he's not averaging 7-8 right now, but when you look at how he's been passing, he could very well be dropping triple doubles right now, and nobody would bat an eye. He's been averaging 13 potential assists per game, and when you compare that to someone like SGA, it's only down one per game. SGA is at 14 currently, Josh Giddy is at 13, but the big deal from it is Josh Giddy's not getting the basketball nearly as much and it makes sense like SGA is the star he's getting the basketball more often he's receiving 70 passes a game that's SGA whereas Giddy is receiving around 52 so that's an 18 uh possession or pass differential there and that's going to lead to a lot more shots and plays being created through SGA as opposed to Josh Giddy but Josh Giddy has been just proficient in terms of slashing in as of late. Uh, When he's driving in, the number one option is always kicking it out to the corner, finding a crazy cross-court pass or a dump-off. 
Uh, whereas with SGA, he's always had it in his bag to where he'll kick it out, but he's been looking to score lately. With Giddy, it's pretty refreshing how he's been playing. There was one play against the Hawks where he got a screen at the top and he was at the right wing and he just gunned an underhanded bounce pass to, I believe, Derek Favors, who was slicing inside on a roll. Like, who who does that, you know? I have not seen a play like that. Only thing that I can even compare this to in terms of just wackiness, and, like, I have not seen that. Killian Hayes threw, like, a spin pass in transition whenever the Pistons uh, came to town last season, and Giddy's actually thrown a curve on a pass or two this year, so... I mean, he just branches out in so many different ways to uh, create room and create those passes. And he's been trapped below the rim multiple times, did a lot in this stretch, has all year, where he drives in, His he's like right under the rim. If he's looking up, he's looking into the netting, right? And he's just like having to rip the ball through defender's hands and just laser out almost no look passes to the corner. He drops it on a dime. He finds people and... This is why you got to stress players like Muscala, guys like Jeremiah Robinson Earl. If you have those guys out there in the corner every time, number one, the pressure's not going to be as excruciating for Josh Giddy. He won't have to deal with that second man all the time, so he'd get more points himself. But off those passes, you know, he wouldn't be averaging 5.2 or 5.4 assists during this stretch it'd be closer to eight and he definitely would have had a triple double to show for it in the last week because he's creating wide open field goals and so is SGA as well the guards have done a magnificent job in setting up their teammates it just comes down to being able to hit those shots get back on the other end and just do it rinse and repeat on a consistent basis so Giddy consistently is making amazing dishes in terms of his finishing ability, he's been great all year as well. Floater game was the big breakthrough we saw in the first 10 or so games. He had a really good patch where he hit three straight triples, I think three games ago. So he's been rolling from the perimeter and he's hoping to continue that moving forward. And so is Ty Jerome in terms of hitting shots, particularly from three and just, I get in general, I guess you could say with him, because his case is different than a Giddy or an SGA or Jeremiah Robinson Earl for that matter. He is in a highly contested uh, positional battle with Trey Mann and Teo. And Ty, he got uh, kind of the keys this past week because you had Trey Mann who was in the G League and Teo also was in the G League. So you had those two guards duking it out and Ty was getting double-digit minutes on a daily basis, and he proved uh, he proved to Dagnalt and Dave Bliss that, you know, they should be playing him that cut. He was averaging 13.7 minutes over the last five. He was putting up nine points per game with 1.4 rebounds and 1.4 assists. That 15-point game in Atlanta was huge for him as well. When you look at Ty Jerome, he is a scorer. He was a sharpshooter last season. He still is currently shooting 40% from distance. He has gone 6 of 15 uh, during this little stretch he's had here. So 
he's been decent when you look at that. And then even on drives as well, he's been getting inside. He's been shooting 9 of 10 from the foul line. So when he's getting fouled, he's being pretty damn efficient. And then he's shooting 52% in all. So he's just been that microwave scorer in that second unit. And last season, you know, Ty's game worked. But it, it really wasn't just him on the surface level being a microwave scorer. It was him throwing crazy passes making, I wouldn't say crazy, but smart passes in the half court to where his assist to turnover ratio would be three to one, which is kind of spectacular uh, for NBA standards. But yeah, he looked great there. It's kind of been cut off because of Giddy joining the team and because SGA is back. He's not going to be handling the basketball as much. And the same goes for Trey and Teo once they come back. So you kind of have to conform to what is currently happening and you got to change your game up to where you're still going to be effective and Ty Jerome has done that perfectly thus far in the season and to show for it he's won the battle to this point there's going to be guys from the G League coming in but when he is scoring 10 11 15 points in under 15 minutes it's pretty hard to refuse the man minutes and I get it because he is 23 going on 24 years old and you have Teo who's 20 and Trey Mann who's also 20 but Ty Jerome's not an old guy by any stretch here you could keep Ty Jerome past his rookie contract and hold him as a strong bench piece we'll see if they do that or not right now he is showing signs that he could be an effective bench scorer for the long run uh, under Mark Dagnall. But I want to talk about some of the G League guys as well. I want to talk about Teo. I want to talk about Trey, some other assignees, and some gyms that have been servicing from the Exhibit 10 pool. Uh, but first, I want to talk about the Blue just in general. They started pretty well uh, for the season. They've dropped the last couple games though. And now they are sitting at four and three. So they went from, I think, a four and one hot streak to this. They have a game tonight against the Agua Caliente Clippers. It's going to be a swing one, whether they're 500 or they're five and three moving back to the Paycom Center. But the big game uh, that we saw took place against the Agua Caliente Clippers, and it involved former Thunder member Serge. Abaca. So Serge, he's been dealing with some injuries. He kind of wanted to rehab, but also he didn't want to just instantly go back to into NBA play. He wanted to get more adapted to five on five, get some real reps, and it's kind of what we've seen from Vit Krejci. Obviously, it's like a completely different type of story though when you compare Serge, who's like just dominated the NBA defensively for a while, and Krejci, who's this 21-year-old who got nabbed in the second round, but, um, yeah, nonetheless, this was a very big game for the blue, making sure they could stop him, and, you know, you have a matchup where Abaka, way bigger, way more experienced, and you have a youthful blue team that really only has a front court veteran and 25-year-old DJ Wilson, who, you know, is not the most burly uh, center, and he's kind of actually had to move up to the five with this blue team because they did not have Isaiah Roby for this game. But 
They actually did a good job against Serge Ibaka. He had to take 20 shots, went 9 of 20, so he was just forcing it. He was getting force-fed, got 22 points on the night and 14 rebounds in 30 minutes, went 2 of 8 from downtown. So efficiency-wise, Serge was off his game, and because of that, they were able to win 108 to 100 against the Clippers, but that was the big one to me where I was focused on it. I wanted to see how they stopped Surge. They were bringing a lot of pressure to him, and it happened to work. Um, they've just had some issues lately getting shots rolling, and then from 3-2, you see a lot more threes being chucked up in the G League, and a lot of them go in. It's very odd. There's so many buzzer beaters to end quarters. It looks like the mid-first bank halftime contest. Like That's the only comparison I can draw, you know? It just goes in every time. Bank shot, swish, do behind the back, anything. It's going in in the G League. But they're going to be playing, like I said, for the 500 mark uh, in this next game. I want to talk about some of the guys currently on assignment, though, and that starts with Trey Mann. His regular season stats with the blue uh, over the course of five games for him have been 13 points, 4.8 rebounds, and 3.6 assists. I'll say with Trey, he's looked very comfortable taking the basketball up, and he has been looking to take shots uh, whenever they're available, and that's a good thing. I want to see him taking shots, and I want to see him taking step-back threes. He has been doing that a lot. That's where a lot of those points have been coming from. When you're seeing him riddle off 18, 19 points, thank the three-point line for it. So he's been a crafty sharpshooter. You know, we saw when he was at the Thunder, like, he wasn't bad. He should have probably stayed. Uh, it's just kind of the little option of, should he be playing 10-15 here, or the star of the show playing 30-35 to with the G League? They chose this option, which is fine. But they could put him in, and he could still be dropping 8-9 points in a similar role to Ty Jerome, where you're just kind of second fiddle in that backcourt. Uh, but he's also been handling, like I've mentioned, I will say, though, I think that Teo Maladone has been the better of the two in terms of sticking to that point guard role. And I understand that Manns is different. Like, he is that combo guard to where he's looking to shoot it every time. He's looking to create those plays. He has been able to kick it out, uh, whereas Teo is more of like that slow and steady guy who will find passes. Uh, but I've liked what Teo has been doing. When you're talking about game management and you're talking about what's been getting them wins, I contribute it more to Teo. When he's taking it past the timeline, he's taking his time. He's getting a high ball screen, and that's when he springs into action. If you guys remember the preseason, last year's preseason, him and Isaiah Roby were going off in a dynamic duo almost. You'd get the screen, he'd navigate to the mid-range, and then he'd throw a dump-off pass or he'd take a floater on his own. We've seen so many of those lately. Same goes with layups. He's been super aggressive off of those screens, and it's called for a lot of points and a lot of foul shots going the 20-year-old's way, which we've wanted to see. I mean, when you look at Teo and you look at what he's done with the Thunder this year, He's been a non-factor, and it's because he hasn't been in a similar situation. He was the minute leader last year. He was taking it past the timeline. He was playing 30 minutes and doing so. Now he's playing 10 minutes, and he's only out there for catch-and-shoot purposes. 
was not working. And I think because of it, it was also tapping into his ability to slash inside and his ability to pass. He just could never get any rhythm. He's picked it up here. And because of it, he's looked like a natural in slashing inside. But also, he's gotten some shots to roll in from downtown. He had one game where Trey Mann was recalled to the Thunder. He was the only guard remaining. He had 28 points nine rebounds, and five assists. And who was it against? It was against the Serge Ibaka-led Clippers. So he showed up in prime time. That was the big one I kind of highlighted in terms of his uh, stat sheet to this point. He's had a couple games where alongside man, he hasn't gotten it done. The shots weren't falling. But even then, he's found other ways. I talked about the foul line. He had one game where he shot, I think, two of nine from the floor. But he got to the stripe seven times, hit all seven points, and when it was all said and done, he had 16, 18 points. You know, and the reason is, with the G League, unless it's in the final two minutes of a half, you're only getting one free throw. So if I get fouled at the three-point arc, I'm only taking one free throw worth three points. So that's how you get to that number, but he was just converting on them, and that just kind of comes with the aggression. Hey, if you're going to give me a wide open lane, I'm going to get a free throw, or you can go foul me. I'm going to get two points regardless. So he has been just killing it when he's been the number one option with this blue team. And because of that, he's gotten recalled by the Thunder. Trey Mann is still with the OKC Blue. Teo will be back though. And this was very good timing. I respect the decision, and I like the decision to go with Maladone over Trey Mann for this current time because when you look at Teo, he's been up and down. He's getting on this hot streak. You want to keep that momentum and you want to carry it over to the NBA level. With Trey, he's going to be hot. He'll be, you know, kind of spotty in terms of production. And that's just how it is. It doesn't matter where he's playing. That's just how it will be based on the nature of his game. With Teo, he's like this meticulous passer who alongside it is going to get those spurts of offense when you start getting the full package do not let it go to waste because once he starts flailing once he starts going 2 of 11 again then you're like damn we should have done something about it sam presti's capitalizing on it i like sam presti doing that and i like seeing him back in this rotation now trey man he'll be doing his own thing with the blue i'm sure he'll be back and they might actually swap them in about a week or so or whenever it might be hell it could be tomorrow uh based on you know what we've seen on the transaction log but he's coming in ty jerome is still getting minutes are you gonna kick out ty jerome for a game to see what teo does if sga is still out that's obviously gonna make this a lot uh easier in terms of giving everybody their fair share but you're reopening the conversation and teo earned this opportunity for himself uh, playing at a very high level so kudos to him Trey Mann has been playing just as well so it's not like I'm giving it to Teo unanimously Trey's probably been better in the majority of these games but just the moments from Teo and seeing that gradual confidence level increase with him uh, it makes the decision a lot easier for him to go suit back up in an OKC Thunder jersey but just continuing the line of Thunder players who are down uh, with the blue, I'll start out with Vit Kredge. He's been in an interesting spot with the franchise lately because he's getting minutes, but when you look at the box scores, he's not putting a lot up there. 
His season total currently has him at 6.7 points, 5.4 rebounds, and 2.6 assists, but he's been on a cold spell lately, and some of it has to do with shots not going in, like he'll shoot two of seven, uh, but also he's not taking them, like he went one of two uh, just two nights ago, or I guess two games ago, but yeah, like he, he just isn't in that mode where he's popping shots there are a lot of other bench shooters on this team so it makes sense why he might not be the first option but even in terms of him having the ball in his hands it's been cut off a bit because of Trey and Teo coming back they also have Xavier Simpson who was the assist leader with the blue last year on the team so it does kind of put him in an awkward spot so when I check the numbers I'm not looking at Vit and saying oh he's terrible like because he hasn't been giving the light of day from Grant Gibbs, but it's not really Grant Gibbs' fault. Like, you have a team just loaded with NBA talent right now, so you can't give everybody the minutes, uh, but he's still getting, like, well over 20 a game, so I don't look at his numbers right now and think much of it. I think once Trey and once Teo get pushed back up, that's when you kind of lock your crosshairs on Vit and see his development, Um, but yeah, it's been a bit of a rough spell for him. I'm sure he will be fine though as the G League season progresses. The other person I want to talk about is Paul Watson Jr. And the other two-way, which is Aaron Wiggins, he's been playing with the Thunder. He has earned his stripes down here and he's been doing great. With Paul Watson, you're looking at him as kind of that veteran piece on this blue team who also should be putting up a ton of points you're bringing a 26 year old on a two-way deal that is a bold move especially when you are a rebuilding team they tossed out a 20 year old in josh hall to do so so you know they saw a lot in him whenever they picked him up and he's been doing all right i mean he is a consistent double digit scorer with this team he's averaging 12.6 points per game currently also has four rebounds but when you're talking about efficiency, man, he is slipping just a little bit here. He's only shooting 38% from the floor right now. That's abysmal um, when you put it in the grand scheme of things. He's shooting 13 tries a game, or excuse me, 12 tries a game. Just about five are going in for him. So he's having games where he'll go out there, he'll dominate, right? And then there's the other games where he'll shoot 4 of 11, and he gets 11 points. That's how he's kind of lived uh, for the last week, I would say. So, efficiency is not amazing, and because of it, the door has been opened in my eyes in terms of maybe his spot on the team. And I say it because uh, the pivotal, or the big point in him getting signed was the three ball. He was shooting 47%, and I think it might have been even above 50% at some moments, with the Toronto Raptors last year from beyond the arc, he's only shooting 30% right now, and he hasn't been cut off from three. I mean, he's taken over half of his shots here, 7.4 of his 12.3 on average, to be exact, right? So it might be in the 60s when you're talking about it in terms of calculations, just are not going in. And because of him being so perimeter centric, he can't really tap into the charity stripe much either. He's not even taken one foul shot a game. So he's been hindered there. And I think out of those two between Krejci and Watson Jr., Watson Jr. has been the one a bit more uh, disappointing, at least in my eyes. And with Paul Watson kind of declining, there have been two guys on this blue team that have really risen up 
as of late and have made a genuine conversation as to who might be getting more minutes out of that band there. But the first one I want to talk about is Melvin Frazier Jr. This is the guy that I've been fanboying about for well over a year. I think it was like my third or fourth podcast I've done on here. It was about Melvin Frazier Jr. when they signed him for a day. Then they cut him for the Exhibit 10, but at the time, I actually thought Melvin Frazier Jr. was sticking around on a one-year for the Thunder, and I thought it was valid. I thought that was a good signing. I think if it did happen, even in retrospect, I wouldn't have batted like an eye because he fits the mold of what the Thunder have needed for so long, or at least the idea of his player, what he was doing with the Lakeland Magic. Just a three-point shooter who's very good defensively. He's at, he has a seven-foot-two wingspan. He's six-foot-six. It's a very gangly guy, but he is a straight-up ball hawk. He averaged well over two steals a game with Lakeland, uh, so it makes sense uh, why they would try to get him in on a 15-man or a two-way deal and just see what happens with him. And he played with the blue last season and did not look great. There was not more than maybe two games where I didn't think like, man, he's not getting enough time or he's not when he is getting in, he's not being productive enough. He just didn't look like a two-way contract level player, but he's kind of turned the hill. And I feel like he's at a point now where you want to give him a fair share of minutes. He's averaging 18.2 a game. I say take a little bit away from Paul Watson here. He's averaging 28. Let's get Melvin Frazier up to 20. Maybe some nights give him 24 and just let him rock and roll because he has been doing some pretty solid things. He's been averaging 8.4 points, 2.9 rebounds, and 0.9 assists. Those are okay numbers. The big thing that stands out though, 1.6 steals. He's been very active on defense, and the role that he was just suited up for when he was drafted, he's been doing with the blue. He shot 41.2% from downtown on 2.4 tries a night. You might say, well, 2.4 tries, that's not much. He's pretty much a corner sitter, so look at what the Thunder are doing, look at what Melvin's doing. The two kind of go together, so He doesn't need to be the primary ball handler. He's not really supposed to be one. He's an off-ball cutter. If that, that's about all the movement you're going to see from him. So put him there, cut him inside. He does both. But also defensively, he will be very active and turn some points uh, over because of his defensive play. So those two factors have been really big. Also, He's had some outbursts off the bench where he's dropping 15 points or 17 points. I want to talk about the 17-point game he just had, though. Played against the South Bay Lakers, and he had 17 points on 6 of 10 shooting. Went 3 of 4 from downtown. Uber efficient. You love to see it from Melvin. You haven't seen many of those games from Paul, so that's why I say this is a case that I'll probably uh, probably be talking about later on. And then there's even a third wheel here, which, you know, if you guys have been listening to me for a while, this is not a surprise. Like, I always talk about him when I talk about the Oklahoma City Blue, but it's because he deserves the recognition. He deserves more attention than just this G League circle. I think someone's going to find a steal in Rob Edwards if they pick him up on a two-way. And I've talked about the circumstances, like the Thunder, they already have so many guards. I don't know if it'd be very beneficial for either side. Someone who needs a microwave score, though, go pick this guy up. He's been great, 
and off the bench, he's still been very productive for the blue. Started out kind of iffy. He wasn't dropping double digits. He was not finding his real footing in this depth chart, but he's gotten his act together. He's averaging 11.9 points right now, three rebounds, and 1.9 assists, 36.4% from three. He's taken more than he was last season. He's taken 6.3 right now, and he's still taking them just as you guys have imagined. Left wing pull up. He's even taking it on the catch and shoot. Same old, same old with him. And even on the ISO, we saw it in the preseason. He's looking to branch out on that side. So offensively, this dude's a juggernaut for the G League level. And he has been churning out ridiculous numbers in the second unit thus far. He's had 19 points, 17 points, and just recently 18 points in his last three games. So 18 points. Uh, that'd be the average right there. I think that's a team high in that segment, and he's doing it in less than 24 minutes a game. Grant Gibbs knows how lethal he is. Everyone who's probably seen him in the gym knows how lethal Rob Edwards can be. It's just the deal of, hey, the priority has Teo, Trey, uh, Aaron, whenever he's there. Uh, you got Vit Kredchi as well, and then Paul Watson. So there's five guys that got to take priority and it makes sense and then even the younger guys out there as well and then you look at Rob then you look at guys like Melvin but they're doing so good I feel like something needs to be done there and then even a guy like Olivier Saar who has been up and down he's 22 so he's not really on the same uh grouping as a Frazier or an Edwards but he's been doing good in his small sample of minutes but you got guys clogging things up like a Roby for example when he's down and it makes sense why they need to be doing it. They need to prioritize them. Uh, but this is still a very loaded team. And DJ Wilson, who I didn't think would be around, he still's hanging around right now. And he's been doing a pretty solid job. He's averaging 11 points per game, 7.3 rebounds. Correction, 9.1. So even better than that with 3.7 assists. And the three-point shot has not been falling for him. That's where uh, he was expected to make an impact non-existent been shooting 15 percent currently uh, hopefully that could turn around though and i just can't wait to see the next course of games for the blue because these will be critical because you're gonna see guys filter in and out again on the assignments teo will be gone so that's more minutes available for potentially a rob edwards a guy like melvin uh, but i really want to focus in on paul watson jr because I don't know if they'd strip the two-way and put it on somebody else, but there are people, when you look at the games and you look at who's having better impacts, there are people who are in contention right now with Paul, and they are in that same kind of region. I'd say, in particular, Melvin Frazier on you know what kind of players they are and what that archetype they fit uh, would happen to be so we'll check that wing battle in the next episode when i do cover the blue should be back to uh, game recap pods like that i've discussed guys we appreciate you guys bearing with me like i said but thank you all for listening to this episode and i will talk to you all next time see ya